This is the River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome. We don't have a sense of stewardship of what's really at stake here. These are rivers that for centuries in in the legal code have been things we enjoy in common that there is a common interest here that can be respected and that is in the river itself that landowner doesn't want to screw up the river he's spending money to enhance and improve it and certainly the uh, person that's catching those fish doesn't want to screw up the river even though he may be inadvertently and unconscionably trashing the property, trashing the river. Neither of them fully respect the position of the other person, and there needs to be that accommodation. There's conflict. There's natural conflict. It's going to happen. It is happening, but it can be resolved if we're all better stewards and we're all aiming at the same thing, which is the healthy river. Today's episode comes to you from New Mexico and is an exploration of its rivers and an access conflict involving public rivers that have been barricaded off by private landowners. First, let's meet New Mexico. Do you know New Mexico, the land of enchantment? Elevations ranging from 13,000 to 2,800 feet, the 47th state of the United States. In the northern end of the state, four geomorphic provinces converge, the Southern Rocky Mountains, the Colorado Plateau, the Basin and Range, and the Great Plains. Another way to say this is, in the north end of New Mexico, there are fantastically high mountains that collect winter snows. Coming in from the west are high desert plateaus and deep desert canyons. To the east are the dry steppes of the plains, and to the south begins the lower and hotter desert landscapes with periodic mountain ranges ascending from the low desert floors. New Mexico offers huge views, dry air, dry ground, and a cultural history that is much greater than any words I can offer here. The Rio Grande is the largest river of the state, and this river literally runs the entire length of the state from the north to the south. Our guests today both have long histories with rivers in New Mexico. Here, they tell us about the rivers of the state. Rivers of New Mexico are little snowmelt spring runoff streams. We don't have very much water in New Mexico, and we have less of it all the time. So the flow of our rivers is not the flow in rivers that you might see elsewhere. They're not grand rivers. We don't expect them to be like the Columbia or the Hudson or the St. Lawrence. Many of of our rivers, I think people in other parts of the country might call cricks, but they tend to be wide and relatively shallow. The smaller streams can be intermittent at times. They're friendly, (laughs) in a sense. They're small and intimate. They uh, drop steeply uh, out of the mountains. It's a high desert environment. We have high mountains. We get wonderful winter snowpacks in in the old days, so you'd have good high runoffs, and we have low deserts. And we have a lot of arroyos throughout the state, you know, erosional gullies, things that really only run when you get a heavy rainstorm or maybe a little bit during the, the spring runoff. And increasingly, our spring runoff is coming earlier and harder, and we're seeing really depleted 
flows. The stream I grew up in used to run all the time. Now it almost never runs in the summer anymore. It's almost dry all summer long. They're fundamentally different from what a lot of river runners think about when they think about their next vacation. It's not the Middle Fork Salmon. It's not the Colorado River through Grand Canyon. My favorite's the Gila, the uh, Chama, and the Pecos. They're lively, sparkling. They're wonderful little streams. I'm in love. Both of our guests today are current and longtime residents of New Mexico. I interviewed each guest separately and asked each person almost the same questions. With that, here are today's guests, Leslie Allison, the executive director of Western Landowners Alliance, and Steve Harris, owner and founder of Far Flung Adventures. My name is Leslie Allison. I'm based here in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I grew up here in Pecos and Santa Fe. I spent a good part of my life managing a ranch in southern Colorado, just north of the New Mexico state line. Um, But I'm back here in, in Santa Fe right now. My name is Steve Harris. I'm speaking with you all from uh, northern New Mexico in the small village of Pilar, which is about 50 miles south of the Colorado boundary and 16 miles south of Taos. I grew up in an inholding in the National Forest. We had a little tiny piece of property in an inholding and a little stream, which is a tributary of the upper Pecos River, ran through the backside of our small half-acre property there. And so I, I grew up playing in that stream and fishing in that stream as a child. And then as I get older, I grew up fishing really on the Pecos River. And that was, you know, kind of a, a hook and worm, kind of the old days of, of bait fishing as a, as a child. And then as I grew up and fly fishing became a thing, I fell in love with fly fishing. And and then eventually I ended up managing this large ranch in um, Southern Colorado, as I mentioned, uh, which had a, a, a good segment of river going through it and, and spent 16 years there trying to restore the river, the riparian areas, and native trout populations in that whole system. And so I took very seriously my charge as a land steward to take care of that entire river system in uh, watershed. Uh, My first river trip was at age 15, where I got to solo canoe the Colorado River in Texas, and I immediately fell in love with touring rivers. In the uh, mid-70s, I became a river guide on the some of the rivers of central California in the Sierras. And I've been, uh, oh, I've probably done 35 or 40 different rivers in Mexico and all of the big recreational rivers in the Southwest. In 1976, I started a company in Big Bend National Park called Far Flung Adventures. And I outfit on the Rio Grande and Dolores River, the Arkansas, the Salt, the Gila, the Chama, and the Pecos. Today's episode is sponsored on behalf of American Whitewater. Here is Hattie Johnson from American Whitewater to tell you about this organization. My name is Hattie Johnson, and I serve as the Southern Rockies Stewardship Director at American Whitewater. As paddlers, we're in a close symbiotic relationship with healthy, flowing rivers. As much as I need flows in the river for life, joy, health, so much more, rivers need our care and attention to ensure that they're protected and restored. American Whitewater defends the right to paddle rivers and to maintain that symbiotic relationship. The mission of AW is to protect and restore America's whitewater rivers and to enhance opportunities to enjoy them safely. Our vision is that the public has access to rivers for recreation and that those river enthusiasts are active and really effective river advocates intent on protecting these waterways we love. 
We base our stewardship work on those deep connections to these places and knowledge of them. When we work on access issues, it's really driven by a deep conservation ethic. In working to secure areas for public access to rivers, we also use our platform to share information about them, host events, and encourage sustainable use and safety on the water through education. We've found that sustainable access to rivers benefits individuals and communities as well as the river itself. When we spend more time on rivers, we become better stewards and better advocates for their protection. Visit AmericanWhitewater.org to get your membership today. Access to rivers can seem simply like a thing that is easy. And yet, how many rivers require a permit for floating or a license to fish? How many are banked with private property or run through an urban setting that limits access? Some of the most ideal private property is land with a river flowing through that land, creating personal riverfront areas. I believe that many of us can understand the value and pleasure of that type of setting. The content of this episode references rivers and river access in the western United States, specifically in New Mexico. These lands were obtained and developed in the 19th century by the growing United States after much of the lands of the East were already established and the rules and customs in the East of river access and land ownership were further along. In the West, there is a lot less water than the Midwest and East. River and stream proximity is the difference between a successful and unsuccessful attempt at developing an area, especially in New Mexico. While folks in the Midwest and East work to keep water from collecting and flooding areas, folks in the West work to bring water to their homes and fields and trees for use and storage. In New Mexico, waters are owned by the state, and the right to use that water is provided to various towns, counties, agricultural and industrial interests. And when that water is still in the rivers and streams, it is considered something that the public can use and enjoy for boating, fishing, swimming, and simply sitting next to. And that water has to stay in the river and flow downstream to its next place of appropriated use. Laws and rules regarding access to rivers that are flowing through private land varies from state to state, and even within a state, these rules can be unclear. What I know in my boating practice is that I just keep moving when I know I am banked by private property. So no stopping for a pee break or lunch. And that is annoying and sometimes it is the way it is. This week, we will dig in deeper on this topic. In New Mexico, there is a case sitting in the New Mexico Supreme Court that will do something to the legal access methods for streams and rivers in New Mexico. Yes, do something is very vague and not a legal term. And yet, it might best sum up the options. Something will be done. The case came before the court in 2020, and the parties of the case are still waiting for a decision. We start off with our two guests telling us about the New Mexico State Constitution and a precedent-setting case that came before the court in 1945 and what these both say about waters in the state. Well, the Constitution has two messages in it. One, it has to do with water, and it says, you know, straight out that the unappropriated water of every natural stream, perennial or torrential, is hereby declared to belong to the public and be subject to appropriation for beneficial use. It's also, of course, a prior appropriation state, first come, first served, first in line state. The other part of the Constitution uh, talks about protection of private property rights. And so you have both of those things. And anytime you start talking about the Constitution, stream access, water rights, private property rights, you have to realize that the conundrum here is that you have two different rights. You have the public's right to the water overlaying the private landowner's right 
of private property. And anytime you have that kind of overlay, you're going to have conflict. New Mexico did not become State of the Union until 1912. And by 1912, irrigation crusade was already underway in the West, and rivers were being transformed into alfalfa growing enclaves. And so in the 1912 New Mexico Constitution, there's Article 16 that contemplated a way of allocating water for farming. And that was the prior appropriations doctrine, which is a, another deep, fascinating topic. Prior appropriation just says that the first people to put water to use have the right to use the water. And the conceptual basis is this is the water of the state. The state holds all of the water that's flowing down these streams in trust for people that will put it to beneficial use. So what Article 16 says, all the water belongs to the people, and thereby hangs the present conflict. Does the Constitution speak specifically to how waters can and cannot be used, or does it just simply state that the waters of the state belong to the people of the state? Very simple, unambiguous statement. This is people's water. Or in another construction, it's the state's water then how it's used is is a process of statute. And there's a New Mexico water code, and it recognizes customs that rose up from Spanish and Mexican tenure. Moving on down the timeline of New Mexico being a state and water laws in that state, in 1945, there is a kind of a conflict that goes all the way to the Supreme Court of the state of New Mexico, and it's the Red River Valley case. Can you tell us what you understand about that situation and that that case and the outcome? Well, basically, there was a a reservoir built. The owner of the reservoir, the proponent that built this reservoir, decided that they uh, wanted to exclude people from fishing on the reservoir. And the Supreme Court, the state Supreme Court, said in the Red River Valley decision that the water, under Article 16 of our Constitution— was there to be enjoyed by the people. So it made that connection between the Constitution and the rights to recreate. They said all of the water is available for recreation, basically, and said that, no, you, the dam owner, have a lot of rights to the land surrounding the reservoir, but you don't have a right to prevent a guy from putting his boat on the water and going out and fishing. The question was, in the Red River case, whether the public had the right to access public water that was flowing across private land. How can the public use that water? And in in the Red River case, the court determined that as long as the public entered at a public access point and then they floated on the water, they're well within their right, provided they don't trespass along the banks of the stream or the lake, which are private land. An adjective I hear often when discussing river access rules and laws is complicated, and I agree with that description. In many Western settings, it is complicated because it is water where there is very little, complicated because of the historical aspect that you have heard from our guests. And in addition to what a state may have for their historical guidance, there are doctrines and concepts that are used across the United States to define water law and access, and there are older concepts from Europe that influence those doctrines. 
Here is a short list of some of those doctrines and concepts. Flumen publicum, laws of Justinian, sovereign waters, equal footing right, Thalweg versus flood level, navigability, navigatable, navigable in fact, navigable in reality, rivers and harbors act, public trust doctrine, the commerce clause, riparian upland adjacent, riparian law, proof of use, and there are many, many more. All of these blend together in some manner, influencing and shaping the respective states' river access. Up until 2015, New Mexico managed its rivers and water access per the state constitution, the Red River precedent, and various rulings from the New Mexico Game Commission, game meaning wildlife, not gambling. In 2015, this changed. 2015 comes along, and there's a new law put into play in the state of New Mexico regarding access to waters, to these public waters that are on private lands. Can you explain this law in 2015? Well, Sam, as usual, there's a little bit of backstory before you get to 2015. And in the uh, early teens, there's a quite a powerful legislator representing the Pecos Valley named Luciano Lucky Varela. And Lucky Varela had been contacted by some constituents who were concerned that they were being overrun by fishermen and there was trash being thrown and fences being cut, wildlife being choused, cattle being uh, let loose. And uh, they wanted to know what the legality was. Well, Lucky couldn't tell him, so he went to the attorney general and asked for an opinion on this matter. And the attorney general's opinion said that it referred back to the Red River case and said that they can float into your property, but uh, you have a right to exclude them if they're coming overland through your property. In 2014, then Attorney General Gary King issued an opinion that ran contrary to those decades of New Mexico law and regulations and said he thought fishermen should have the right to wade up those streams and do incidental touch, as he called it. So that threw things into chaos. It created a great deal of uncertainty because an attorney general opinion is just that. It's just an opinion. It's not the law. But we started to get quickly into confrontation between fishermen and landowners. And then what happened in 2015, the legislature was asked to weigh in on this and voted to uphold the decades of interpretation and to reaffirm the way that New Mexico had always handled it. And that was the 2015 River Access Law. The attorney general's opinion on this said waters belong to all the people. Well, you know, this was reported in the Santa Fe, New Mexican newspaper. And some of the landowners were understandably quite alarmed by this. They uh, instantly saw a slippery slope to uh, not being able to exclude anybody. Hordes of fishermen doing all these depredations on their land. And so that in 2014, uh, one of the landowners hired a law firm to put together a bill, and they brought it to the uh, Legislative Interim Committee on Water and Natural Resources. And this was about eight pages of proposed legislation that said the State Game Commission had a right to declare streams to be non-navigable, and if they were non-navigable, that the landowner could prevent entry. So this legislation was introduced early in 2015. 
was called Senate Bill 225. By the time the legislature closed, this six or eight pages of legislation had come down to uh, a paragraph that said the would-be recreationist had to get permission from the landowner to be there unless they did not touch the bed and banks of the river. The 2015 law is really a message about private property and keeping people off of private property who do not have permission to be there. Regarding the 2015 law and what it says about river access, in summary, is this. No person shall walk or wade onto private property through non-navigable public water or access public water via private property unless they have landowner consent. That is a small summary. The full law is linked in the episode notes. In that 2015 law, there was not any guidance on what rivers are non-navigable. It was seemingly a law lacking in clarity. The task of assigning procedural clarity was eventually taken up by the New Mexico State Game Commission. This commission is appointed by the governor. So instead of this very serious power of declaring a stream as off-limits to the public being in the hands of the legislature, it was now in the hands of a governor-appointed commission. And it was now a rule and not a law. To be clear, the 2015 law says no trespassing using non-navigable rivers. The rule, which is not the law, the rule on what a non-navigable river is, now comes from the Game Commission. After the 2015 law, the Game Commission established a process where a landowner that has a river or stream flowing through their property can apply to the Game Commission for a non-navigable waters permit, and if they are granted such, then they can prevent people from walking or wading up the public river inside of their private property. In some ways, that feels appropriate. I can understand a private landowner wanting to keep folks from walking up a stream through private property. If you recall earlier in the episode, the guests spoke about New Mexico rivers and how they are small, shallow, and there's not a lot of water. A person walking up these streams might do some damage to the bed and aquatic habitat. I'm not a regular or skilled angler, and certainly, my opinion and riparian concerns are not the laws and rules of New Mexico. The 2015 law does allow a landowner to restrict wading and walking access if the land and landowner have the non-navigability permit. This law does not allow a landowner to restrict boating access to the public. It does not say a person cannot boat down any stretch of river at all. And yet, the non-navigability permit linked to that 2015 law has resulted in the restricting of boating access to public rivers. There are two rivers in New Mexico that now have cross-river barriers at the private property lines. Some excuses are that these are in places to prevent people from walking and wading up these streams. These barriers would prevent that, or at least send a clear message about a private property line. Absolutely, these barriers prevent boating access and force boaters to stop along private banks to safely walk around these barriers, essentially being forced into an unintentional trespass situation. The first barrier is a cable across the river that sits right where a boat would float and is a dangerous cross-river barrier. The second barrier is made of barbed wire, concertina wire, smooth wire, cable, PVC pipes, and post. Go to our Instagram feed to see these pictures. So the 2015 law goes into place, and you're expressing that it does not restrict boating access. It restricts walking access on those lands. There are now properties that have cables across their property lines that are also across rivers. Uh, So I've heard of 
I haven't seen these in person. I've heard of cables, restricting access. I've heard of even concertina wire. Are you aware of these types of barriers across rivers now? Well, I can tell you it's it's not a new thing. Uh, I remember as a child growing up on the Pecos River, my parents, you know, telling me never try to float down the river because, you know, there's barbed wire across and it could de- decapitate you. I mean, I, I remember as a child being told about that and seeing that my whole life in New Mexico. And the, the fact is that New Mexico has fencing laws around livestock that require fencing, uh, require fencing of livestock. And so, you know, we have this, you know, Red River case that allows you know, absolutely allows boating access provided you're not trespassing. But then you have this other fencing law that actually requires people to fence in or fence out livestock. And that's really where a high level of conflict comes in. And so I think that, you know, a place to look for boaters is really, you know, look at those fencing laws. In my conversations with landowners that I work with, the issue has never been about boating. There are people who've put cables across as a way of noticing that you're entering private property, right? So it's, you have to post signage. So you got to put something across. So you put a high cable that, that does that. You have people putting li- you know, wire across for livestock. And then you have landowners, you know, that, that frankly, you know, are trying to deal with, you know, whatever they perceive to be trespass issues, you know, nuisance issues, um, you know, that have put some, you know, pretty intense fences up. And I think we need to deal with that on a completely different conversation than this other question about the ownership of the bed and the banks. There's two different issues that are getting conflated. And I think there's unnecessary conflict on this point. Well, I think it's easy to kind of try and to separate those two things out. Yet, you know, I'm going to come back to the question. Are you aware of concertina wire and cables across rivers that's also a property boundaries and they're intended to keep people out? Are you aware of those in the state of New Mexico now? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I've always, like I said, I've been seeing that my whole life of fencing across rivers in, in New Mexico, like primarily for livestock. I'm sure in some cases for trespass, although I don't know those individual landowners. Most of what we deal with is, is trying to fence livestock. Yeah, I, I hear that. In my other interview, I talk about that I boat with wire cutters, not to go out and deliberately cut fences, but if there's a fence across a river and it's high water season, it's not a good time for that to be there. And that, that's another discussion. I don't see that cables, a strand of cable, or that concertina wire, neither of those are, are really livestock barriers. We're talking smooth wire or barbed wire for livestock or a pass-through fence in high water, cables, and PVC. You know, I, I feel like maybe there's a bit of a deflection there to try and suggest that this is not part of the same conflict, that, that property owners are simply trying to keep out walking trespassers who are trying to fish, but that these barriers are actually preventing boating on public waters. I don't think that's something you can separate out here because, I mean, it's real. Those are real things that are happening, and this law from 2015 does not allow that that denying of access for boating. The 2015 law doesn't have... In my interpretation of that law, and landowners I've spoken to, doesn't have anything to do with boating access. It doesn't have to do anything to do with the fencing laws of the state or any of those issues. It was really about fishing access, wading up the, the stream bed in the bank to access public water. That was the question in the 2015 legislation. So I, I really do think they're two separate issues. And I, I think it's important because I think, you know, you get this sort of 
you know, ball of worms here and everybody gets upset about it and everybody's got it, you know, a different stake. I think you have to start teasing this Gordian knot a, a little bit and looking at these different segments. And, and I do think there are probably some really good conflict resolution solutions that could be found around voting access. I, I, I do. And, and, but you're going to have to, you know, get into the whole fencing, livestock management, that kind of thing you know, to deal with that issue. And it's a, it's a really separate issue. I, I, I think confusing them creates uh, a difficulty in resolving sort of either one of them. In that last interview portion with Leslie Allison, Leslie did not ever clearly state if she was or was not aware of the cable and concertina wire barriers. Instead, she told me that fencing across rivers in New Mexico to keep livestock in place is a normal practice. That is true, and boaters typically know that rivers might have fencing across the river. And again, as stated before, concertina wire and cables across rivers are not livestock fencing. While I do not know, nor do I claim to know what or who Leslie Allison knows or doesn't know, I can confirm this. Regarding the Chama River, there has been a cable barrier across the river at the private property line of the Trout Stalker Ranch, a ranch owned by Ashland and Dan Perry. Ashland Perry serves as a member of the Board of Directors for Western Landowners Alliance, and her husband, Dan Perry, serves on the Western Landowners Energy Council. Western Landowners is the same organization where Leslie Allison is employed as the executive director. Further, this property with a cable barrier is a property that has obtained a non-navigable waters permit from the state. In regards to Troutstalker Ranch owned by the Perrys, it is also important to state that the Perrys have done work with the state of New Mexico to clean up the Chama River in their reach as it was suffering from pollution from a poorly functioning municipal wastewater treatment facility upstream of their ranch. This involved personal funding by the Perrys, state funding, and a land donation from the Perrys. And the Perrys have a commercial outfitting program. You can pay to have a guided fishing experience at this ranch on the waters downstream of their cable barrier. There is a second barrier on a different river where a different landowner owns the Rio Dulce Ranch. This barrier is on the Pecos River at the upstream property line of the Rio Dulce Ranch. This property also has obtained a non-navigable waters permit from the state. This barrier has posts, barbed wire, concertina wire, a cable, and PVC across the river with several wire strands creating a cross-river fence that will not allow watercraft to pass through. Neither of these barriers fit in the parameters of the 2015 law and the non-navigable waters permit, nor the Constitution of New Mexico. We will return to the story shortly. Today's sponsored organization is American Whitewater. Here is more information about some of their current work. This is Hattie Johnson with American Whitewater, back to tell you about some of the work we've been busy with recently. It's laid out in our mission, protecting, restoring, and enjoying rivers are the central tenets that guide all of our work. Over the past year or so, we worked to introduce legislation that would protect close to 800 miles of river under the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act in Montana, Washington, California, and New Mexico. We have to get these across the finish line, so if you live in New Mexico, there'll be a link in the show notes with an easy action template to send your senators a note asking them to protect the Gila and San Francisco rivers now. On the restoration front, we've collaborated with the hydropower industry and a broad stakeholder group. We've successfully gotten dam safety and even removal into the bipartisan infrastructure bill. And finally, the best part of our mission, enjoying the rivers. We've teamed up with NRS to develop a responsibility code for river runners. You can check it out at paddlewise.org. 
American Whitewater is a membership-based organization. You can go online at AmericanWhitewater.org. All of your membership funds go directly to support our stewardship work across the country, and there are many levels of memberships to fit everybody. Hope you have a great fall paddling season, and we get to see you on the river soon. New Mexico's river access situation will gain some direction, some judicial clarity when the decision arrives from the state Supreme Court. In the end, it will be the actions and work and relationships of the humans of New Mexico that make the difference in river access, treatment of rivers, and respect of private property. This topic of river access is not limited to New Mexico. Last month, a district court in Utah, directed by the Supreme Court of Utah, handed down a decision that limits public access to rivers passing through private property. Access to rivers, to water that flows across this country and continent, is protected in many states, but each with a different set of rules, and some states have very limited access to rivers. There is a link in the episode notes to an index from American Whitewater providing more information on access for each state. And these rules are dynamic. There are consistent modern attempts to change stream access, reducing the public's ability to use and enjoy rivers and streams. It takes boaters and river advocates to protect access. In this last segment, Leslie and Steve discuss what is next with this New Mexico case and their respective visions for rivers in their state. Well, let's talk about what's next with this. So the status right now, this law, I understand that there has been a lawsuit filed by several groups in the state of New Mexico, backcountry hunters and anglers, the New Mexico Wildlife Federation, the Adobe Whitewater Club. You know, those are boating and hunting and fishing groups, and they are interested in protecting public access to public waters. And that that lawsuit is now sitting in the New Mexico Supreme Court. It's been there for a while. I understand that coming very soon in September, you are going to be, you, Steve Harris, are going to testify before the New Mexico State Legislature about this topic. And in company with you will be my other guest on this episode, uh, Leslie Allison from the Western Landowners Alliance. Uh, what's going on? What's going on with the status of this law right now and the status, not just of this law, but of this kind of concept and movement in the state of New Mexico? What's going on? First of all, I think the sportsman groups have asked the Supreme Court to throw out the rule because it doesn't comply with uh, Article 16 of the New Mexico Constitution. It violates it. It also has some other problems in that there's no real due process in this. So when the first five applications went before the Game Commission, I was in attendance in the room, and I raised my hand. I had some contrary evidence to present and was not permitted to do so. In the rule, I don't have the right to contest or oppose the applications or present any evidence why it's a bad idea. Uh, Also within the rule, it says the landowner doesn't like the decision of the commission. They have recourse to state district court. No such right uh, accrues to an opponent. So tick-tock, the game is locked here. They've written a rule that gets exactly the outcome that they want simply by applying that doesn't afford the opponent his say over this, other than two minutes during the Game Commission open public comment period. And the Supreme Court at some point will say, hunters and anglers, we agree with you, or hunters and anglers, uh, we disagree with you, they're within their rights. In either case, it's not going to solve the problem on the ground. 
It's not going to solve the problem that the landowner has with unregulated trespass and loss of the privilege of privacy. It's not going to uh, make things better for the fish in the river if suddenly everybody's eligible to go fishing on any piece of quality water, whether private or not. What really needs to happen is a process of mediation. And that's going to be the ultimate solution. The Supreme Court's not going to dictate any of these actual what goes on on the ground. They're just going to interpret the law. And actually, the the real conflict is going to be between anglers and the trout rancher. Well, I think at this point, that's inevitable, right? It is in front of the Supreme Court. So I think that is really where, where it's going to land. You know, as far as the boating, I think there are a lot of opportunities out there for people to be working together to try to find uh, solutions and and a case-based basis to some of these conflicts. And I think one of the most important things is relationships. If we've got positive relationships, it's amazing what can actually be worked out between different interest groups. And we also have to recognize that if we care about the resource, the fish, the fishery, the stream systems, we have to put the resource first. And when it comes to private lands, conserving the resource is a matter of economics. It, it really is. You, you, you know, it's expensive to own and manage land. It's expensive to take care of it. And, and I think that I'll, I'll say one last thing about that. We're not going to get there unless we're honest, unless we put facts forward as best we know. Them. You know, the hyperbole, the rhetoric, the misinformation that has accompanied this stream access debate is astonishing to me. And that's the first place we need to sit down and, and come to an agreement on what are the what are the facts? What are the realities here? And let's be honest with each other. Why are you going why are you testifying at the New Mexico State Legislature in September? I actually have a uh, hidden agenda that I'm revealing on your podcast for the first time, Sam. I want to introduce them to the concept of a New Mexico Protected Rivers Bill. New Mexico has done very damn little to protect rivers. They protect water, and they distribute water, and they regulate water without regard to these natural amenities and features and values. So I propose a piece of legislation that um, would incidentally protect some of these voter rights. Uh, 23 states have dealt with this question of recreational voters' access, by saying you've got a right to scout and portage. These are incident to your navigation right. And so I want to clarify that and want to set aside maybe 30 or 35 sections of river that deserve protection both for the, the recreational enjoyment but for the other values that a river offers our society, a protected rivers program. We want to get them thinking about real-world solutions after the Supreme Court rules. Supreme Court's not going to solve this for us. It's going to go on no matter which way they come down. We, landowners, recreationists, land-grant holders, the people of New Mexico, all have valid stake in the outcome of this. You know, I'll say this. I think there could be a lot of common ground and a lot of win-wins in this. If we could step back, I, I realize this is a an issue people are deeply passionate about on both sides. So it's going to be 
a challenge. But we need to see a lot more investment in maintaining the public waters that the public already accesses and enjoys. You know, we, we could do a lot more with enforcement, with education, with equitable access, uh, with restoration. And, you know, the state of New Mexico has been very weak on investing in that. And I think we could all come together in support of better investments in taking care of our streams, both on public and private land, but certainly on the public land so that we improve the quality of that experience. I think we need to start taking a hard look as a society, as a human population, at limits and the sense of entitlement that we have a right to access this, we have a right to access that, because there's too many of us. Our impacts are too hard now on these systems. And so we need to start having some conversations, too, about how we limit our use, how we bring ethics back into the whole equation. I'd love to see the enormous amount of energy that is going into this fight go first into restoring the resources that are already so badly stressed out on the public side. I'd like to see landowners supported in their stewardship of resources because those benefits flow across the line in both directions. And I think there are ways for boaters and ranchers to figure out how do we deal with that fence problem. Many thank yous go out with this episode. First, to our guests, Leslie Allison and Steve Harris. Thank you both for taking your hours on the phone and by email to explore this topic. And then to numerous folks I called upon to gain clarity and insight on this episode, calls that span three states. You know who you are if you took time on the phone with me. Thank you. We will cover New Mexico again this fall, looking at the federal, state, and grassroots work to gain wild and scenic protections for the Gila River of New Mexico. You can reach us anytime. Hello at theriverradius.com. Several folks have emailed the podcast recently about topics and questions and hellos. Thank you so much. This keeps me rolling here in the studio. Our next episode will be about the shuttle stories that folks are sharing with us. If you have a story, send an email. We are still taking more these shuttle stories. Thanks so much for joining the River Radius. That's the not-so-deep 20th century history of New Mexico. Is not a lot of cities, not a lot of Burger Kings. It's a hard place, I think, to, to scratch out a living as a fish. Tick-tock, the game is locked.